Hi, I'm Meta. Welcome to Hansa Conversations, a podcast. The Hansa philosophy is based on a therapeutic idea that is relational and adaptable. Through this podcast, we want to create a deeper conversation to build positivity and awareness around movement practices and life in general. So welcome and listen in. Okay, hello. This is the Hansa Conversations. Um, I'm Etza from Hansa Indonesia, and uh, we have Vincent Baleda, founder and director of Hansa. Uh, hi, Vincent. Hey. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right. How about you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Not too bad. How's the weather over there today? Uh, Beijing blue, so blue sky at the moment. That is beautiful. Yeah, which is quite nice. So, yeah, and uh, life seems to be getting back to normal. That's good. Yeah. It's been just raining and thunderstorm on my side of the world, so um, it's a nice change, but hopefully I get blue sky again tomorrow. Nice, nice. Makes you hunker down and... Um, you know, cozy up really. Yes, yes. As, as as much as you as much as you can cozy up in tropical weather. <laughs> <laughs> I can manage that. Cool. So, cool. so um let's have another conversation today and I figure let's talk about biomechanics today. Um yeah. because I think it might be good to just share a little more about that with people. And so I'm yeah. gonna start with this. One question that I always get asked um when Um, I'm talking about Hansa um, and the the advertisement in, in the blur. There's always the word biomechanics, and people always ask, okay, what exactly is biomechanics? So let's start with that. Do you want to talk about what is biomechanics? Sure, sure. I mean, the body moves in, in particular ways that have mechanical attributes and uh, governed by certain, you know, natural laws of, of um, biology and laws of physics and gravitational influences. And so mm-hmm. the, you know, it's the mechanics of the body, really, um, how it moves, how it functions, uh, all those things really can come under that heading of biomechanics. Okay. So um, so obviously that is linked a lot to our everyday movement, um, how we function. Um, so what are some of the basic principles of biomechanics that we need to know, that we need to be aware of? Oh, basic principles. So uh, some of the basic principles that I would suggest that we start to align ourselves with is that the body is limited. <laughs> uh, yeah, it can, it can move and, and it has certain ranges of motion. Those ranges of motions have been also measured. Um, and it's And there's certain limitations of how we, far we can twist, how far we can back bend, how far we can forward bend, how far we can laterally bend as well. So there's mm-hmm. a number of aspects to us that, yes, we move well, and, and there's aspects to us that seems to be unlimited in terms of our expression of movement, but it still is within a range, and that is governed by just the natural laws of our structure. Okay. Um, so can you just give... Uh slightly more exact example for example let's take i don't know back bend what is the average range of um, that somebody can back bend oh good uh, that's a good question i was just <laughs> don't quote me on these numbers because kind of the uh, information kind of slips through my memory bank but i think a, a, a back bend the amount of lumbar 
extension that you can create is roughly about 35 degree angle um, before you start creating certain impingements uh, within the spinal st structure of the lower spine. Um, so it's not much of an extension when you think about 35 degrees. Another example would be uh, how much hip extension do we have, minimal, or how much is actually quite minimal. It's about 15 degrees, I think, give or take. That's measured so, off the central vertical axis, yeah? Yes, the central axis of the hip mm. before, before the joint becomes... Uh, self-obstructing and then you have to compensate by twisting the pelvis or the lower spine to go even even further up. So um, so these are some of the examples I would say indicate uh, how much movement we have in an isolated fashion in terms of spe specific joints or parts of the body but it also indicates those parts of the body have a, a limited range as well mm -hmm. and that if, and if you want more out of those parts of the body um, then you'll have to go through a number of compensatory um, actions. And sometimes you may have to alter the physiological nature uh, of that region by overstretching the ligament structure or destabilizing it in a particular way that you can get maybe a few more degrees out of it so that mm -hmm. you can touch your toes or put your head to your feet, whichever which way it goes. Okay. So if the, the range is actually quite limited, right? Can we actually improve the range or increase the range? I'm just talking. I'm just asking because you know, in yoga, for example, uh, people tend to be trained to improve on either their flexibility, mobility, trying to do better back bend. So, so do those range ranges change over time? Can they be improved? Well, that, that's a, a very good question, and I think it depends on the goal, really. Um, if you're looking for um, optimizing just natural function and range of motion, then I think, you know, we, we will work within a certain um, practice that enables us just to sustain our current status. Uh, but if you if you're an athlete or if you're a gymnast or what have you, um, of course you can increase those range of motions. Uh, you can deepen the back bend. You can uh, create further, you know, either outward or inward rotation of the hip. But there's an optimal point where you go beyond the natural capacity of the body, and, and once you've gone beyond that point. The consequences may not be felt in, immediately in that moment, but may be felt further down the track. Um, and, 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 and I would say that in actual fact, you end up doing a disservice to the body because the extremity of where you're taking either a joint or, or your spine is not necessarily where it would naturally go. And it's only because of, of a visual performance or a, trying to attain a particular... Um, goal or to achieve a particular outcome um, that motivate, motivates us to push ourselves beyond what the capacity of the body can do mm -hmm. um, is all generated by um, certain, uh, certain social constructs, certain value systems, um, and sometimes egos. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and this can sometimes lead us into complicated terrains in terms of rehabilitation because 
if you do something often enough, it, it becomes sometimes quite chronic, and to shift it back to a state where it's more supportive of itself and obviously more integrated with the rest of the, what the body can do may take a long time to yeah. re-establish. Um, so yes, we can, obviously, we can in- increase, and we've seen that with you know, high-performance athletes. But, you know, consequences of that uh, later down the track, I think, sometimes are irreversible. Mm, that's not good. Right. No. So so then coming back to to the range of uh, movement in certain areas, certain joints or biomechanics, everyone is built quite differently. How can we find out what is the the range that we have at the moment and how far we can improve it and what is still optimal and safe? Okay, so a uh, number of questions there. So, yes, sorry about I, that. I'm, I'm going, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to cha- I'm going to challenge I'm going to challenge that first statement or question, is that everybody is built differently. Well, let me have a look at that. Let's 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 just be a little bit um, controversial now. You have two arms. I have two arms. You True. have two legs. <laughs> I have two legs. Yes. So we're all built the same. Uh, but there's certain variables that are within within these frameworks that talk about range of motion in a slightly different way. And so your mm-hmm. range of motion may may be particularly greater in one angle than than another, and mine may be kind of in reverse to that to you. So mm-hmm. so there so there is these variables to our range of motion that is individualized and it's definitely personal. But in essence of the way that we move, we all move pretty much the same. Um, right. So there's no, there's, so there's a commonality to our structural relationships, and there's a commonality to the way that we walk as well. Unless there is some disease or structural anomaly that, and then will definitely alter the mechanics of our body. But right. overall, you know, we sit within this general or generic framework. Um, and there is definitely, as I said, an individualization around that that's personal, that's structural, that's genetically based, and so forth. But in, okay. in the essence of it is that there isn't that much difference that I, I see. Um, I do see variables or uh, varieties of different actions, but overall we are the same. Um, just remind me, what was the other question that you um, asked me? <laughs> how do we know uh, the range that we have at the moment and how much further we can improve on the range that's still, that is still optimum or that is still safe? Yeah, that's, that's interesting because that's a very unknown factor because it's so, so individualized. First and foremost, does the range of motion lead to better quality of life? Secondly, first you have to define, is that range dysfunctional uh, before we can say, okay, let's improve on it. And secondly, does that mm. range that you're working working with, is it causing uh, consequences uh, elsewhere in the body or is it creating inflammatory conditions that mm-hmm. then you would have to say, okay, yeah, we possibly need to look at that more specifically and do we need to enhance its range, do we need to maintain us, uh, or do we have to create a certain level of integrity, or do we start to create a level of stability that we reduce the range of motion because mm-hmm. the, movement, the, the movement itself is, is creating the issue. And it's not sometimes right. just the movement, it's, it's this way we strategize our movement 
on a whole variety of levels, whether it be muscular or neuromuscular, whether it be kinesthetically based uh, or just interpretive and from our perspective of what we think our body is. So, so there's, a, there's a quite a number of questions that need to be asked prior to you going, okay, do we need to improve the range of motion? Because there is this, this bias, I think, within yoga that we need to improve range of motion. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes actually we need to make movement more cohesive or the range of motion through the whole body more cohesive yeah. rather than isolate specific parts to say, oh, this needs to improve and everything else, you know, is is uh, secondary on on one's value list of what is movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the the key components that I work with uh, within the therapeutic setting is um, creating stability. Uh, mm. And to me, stability is is the key here because in most cases where there is dysfunction, there is an instability. And when I say instability, it's both physical, it's energetic. And there's also a lack of connectivity on a sensory level, and so and that means the mind is not the mind is not able to maintain a level of stability in association to that region of the body, and so there's always this kind of incoherent relationship that's going on with that structure or that part of the body uh, that is causing pain, or there is a segmentation to the movement, and so forth. So it's it's really hard to answer, you know, what is a good range of motion because mm-hmm. there are so many aspects to movement and that just to strip it down just to range of motion doesn't do justice to, to the physicality or to the human body. Right. Okay. So, yes, it depends and it, you have to see it more as a connection throughout the whole thing. Um Absolutely, it is. It is about connections. It is about this uh, neurological rhythm that is in, uninterrupted. Uh, it's about movement in, a, in terms of the spirals that we create that are uninterrupted. It's about this transmission of stress or force through the body that isn't segmented or uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. So that there is a much more uh, full embodied experience of the movement itself, and mm-hmm. and and there is a wholesomeness or fullness to that experience. So I understand that it, it's complex and it's really not easy. But where do you suggest people start uh, in just bringing, uh, building the connection again? Maybe just simply between the mind and the body, just to become more aware of how uh, the body is moving. Yeah, there's a number of possible practices that we can do. And and I think that to, to start with, I, I like, I personally have a bias to starting with simple practices um, so mm-hmm. that we establish a foundation both to our body and, and the way we sense it, but also to our movement patterns and start to appreciate more the, the nature of our physicality and how we use it. Mm-hmm. And once we've established a, a good uh, sort of knowledge base around our physicality, then we can expand on those practices and they can become a little bit more dynamic and so forth. So, again, it's building from the floor up or the ground up. And, mm-hmm. and then there is a number of fundamental 
uh, actions that we can do that um, sometimes I think are overlooked and that are, are foundational to, to the way that we move. Uh, and mm-hmm. these are based upon the, the developmental patterns. You know, we have we have lateral movement, forward bending, back bending, and rotational cross-linking relationships. These these are fundamental to our human experience and when we move and and when we when we isolate these patterns and look at them more deeply in the way that we are actually interacting with these ideas. Mm-hmm. And then it tells us it tells us something about our restrictions it tells us something about our bias it tells us something about how we indoctrinate the body to move only in particular ways and maybe asymmetrically in one direction more than the other and so and these uh, these physical habituations also limit our experience on and range of motion if we go down that that line and uh and so stripping it back to these fundamentals i think is a really nice start and then building on that you know um Early on that through you know, larger uh, choreographic relationships into our movement to maybe more dynamic actions because we have to be dynamic. Um, but then we also have to be soft and graceful too at the same time. So trying to increase one's repertoire of the way that we move and sense our body. And so I think a good yoga practice starts at, at the simple and becomes more complex as the practitioner becomes more familiar and much more knowledgeable and much more um, heightened in their relationship to their body. Okay. So let's say I'm doing the simple practices. Let's say I'm focusing on the lateral patterns of movement. It's very simply. And um, so I notice there's a difference, obviously, between the left and the right, because our body is not quite symmetrical. It's actually quite asymmetrical. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a tendency to want to compare one to the other, obviously, and want them to be quite equal. Is that something Mm -hmm. that we should strive towards, trying to balance the ability on one side to somewhat match the other side? Or how should we treat the two sides differently yet? integrated i think that this is a um worthy endeavor i think it's flawed (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it is but but it is a worthy endeavor um what we can do through our practice uh, there's a difficulty here there's a there's a pit that we fall into and and that pit has these uh, associations to uh, alignment and perfection and mm-hmm. equal balance you know it's a quite an idealistic approach to to life and life is not that and wish it was but it isn't and <laughs> we've gone crazy tra- crazy trying to fulfill some of these ideals uh-huh. and um but what we can what we can do yes okay so we can obviously define the difference between one side and the other noting how much of a difference there is and whether that difference is causing us uh, certain issues through uh, postural um, discomforts, um, which in most cases they would do. And then, yes, we try and re-address and balance the differences between left and right, as an example. We won't mm-hmm. find perfection because we will just inherently will have a bias to one side more than the other. Once we've established that bias, whether you're right-handed or left-handed or what have you, 
mm-hmm. uh, you're always going to you're always going to reinforce that asymmetry. But what you can do through the practice is negate the consequences of those differences. You can reduce the stresses that a bias system has. You're not going to eliminate the bias because it's very difficult to do that, and I don't think anybody's ever achieved that. Mm-hmm. But you can you can reduce the the consequences or the impact that this asymmetry has in your body. So what and, and there's a, quite a nice way that you can you can work with in terms once you've discovered that there is a particular uh, asymmetrical relationship that um, is quite heightened. You can do two for one ratios in terms of the exercises or movement patterns. Okay. that you are establishing in your practice. And so that then gives, it, it addresses more the side that you don't have a tendency to to go towards often or disregard. <clears throat> Not unintentionally, it's just, just one of those things that, you know, sometimes it's based upon survival. You know, if, if you know, uh, saber-toothed tiger was to jump out at me, I mean, I'm not going to go, do I run away leading with my left leg or do I run away leading with my right leg? It's just an instant that you go towards the side that you have the most favoured relationship to. So, yeah. you know, these asymmetries have an element of survival as well. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. um, but the, addressing, the, addressing the balance and negating the difference is m- more of a realistic goal than mm-hmm. trying to achieve perfection or equal balance between one side and the other. Okay, All right. So now um, jumping into a slightly different one. So if somebody is um, quite hypermobile in their joints, are there more more care and attention the person needs to have in terms of um, finding this balance or moving their body in a thoughtful manner? Uh, I, yeah, wow, what a question. Um, so, so how, how to, there's so much there to unpack. Uh, first and foremost, um, we have to take into, into consideration the person's lifestyle, um, their extra curriculum activity. Are they, mm. are they practicing yoga? Are they, are they uh, doing certain things that, their hypermobility may be compromising their their structure. Uh, this, is, this is, you know, these are some really um, interesting questions in themselves because it, it does look at their, their motivations. Um, as a general rule, uh, everyday living, does that hypermobility create uh, certain um, issues for that individual? May, may not. It, it really does depend. If it, if it does, then I would encourage the individual to have a look at what range of motion they first have to explore the, their range of motion within specific parts of their body mm-hmm. uh, that may be creating certain discomforts and and then differentiate at what point uh, they feel compromised in that range of motion and then the question is do they if they if you're feeling compromised at a particular level and it's a felt sense experience it's usually quite intuitive and and deeply set if you are feeling compromised do you continue to explore further that range 
or do you inhibit yourself to go further? Um, mm-hmm. Look, at the, at the end of the day, the human body is adaptable and mobile and can support itself to a point, and then it gets to a, another point where uh, the ability f- to adapt and become and be resilient to the forces uh, becomes more and more diminished. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, if, and if it becomes more and more diminished, then we have to question, you know, hypermobility isn't actually may, may be something that is a negative rather than a positive. Okay. If you're moving, and I, remember, I remember this statement, which is really beautiful, and this goes for hypermobility too. If you're, you know, the statement was something like this. This is a few years ago. This physiotherapist um he said, you know, if, if the person is stiff in one joint and the rest of the body is also equally stiff in relationship to that joint, then there's not a problem because then the body is going to work more cohesively within that range. If yeah. the joint is stiff and, the, and all the other parts of the body are more mobile, then there is an issue because there's an inconsistency. Mm-hmm. And it may go the same with this hypermobility. If the whole body is has a tendency to have this tendency to move in a hypermobile way, but there is a cohesive rhythm to it, that means that the structure itself is self-coordinating and regulating and distributing the forces and the stresses more equally through the body. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, what I found with a lot of people that, you know, and this is not all, but in most cases, that some joints are more hypermobile than others, um, okay. because of use, because of genetics, whatever. It's not that you're just you you're just a you know wet noodle all the way through your body. <laughs> no. Yeah. You know, and so and so if, if so, I always find that hypermobility is is specific. It's not just a, an overgeneralized term and and relationship. Sure, there might be individuals that sort of kind of uh, what would you call it that adhere to that what I've just said. But you yeah. have to look at it from a bigger picture. You've got to take more more of the body into the equation rather than the specific joint itself. Um, so there's, to me, movement is about, again, if we're looking at range of motion, it's about cohesiveness between all parts. Mm. Then uh, you will find the body is much more expressive, supportive, stable, and uh, able to adapt. Right. The more we talk through our, our different conversations, uh, the more I wonder whether then um, movement modalities, uh, yoga included, and there's dance, and there's other exercise modalities, whether a lot of them do disservice to people because now there's a tendency to expect different people to have the same abilities and sometimes that can be um, quite harmful to to people who don't know better so I wonder if all movement modalities need to have an element of education that comes with it that somehow um, I don't know what's the word but teach people how to be more familiar of their own body and their own ranges and what are they able to do versus just yeah, um, seeing everybody I, as the I same agree. yeah I agree with that I think the level of education is important um, 
And I and I think at times yes, we are doing a disservice to to our students or to to the people that are in front of us. Uh, so there there has to be a, a level of responsibility around the information that we're imparting, and that the information has to have capacity to be questioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to you want to have you want to also and create uh, within your students a much more discerning mind. <clears throat> um, you know, a lot of these movement modalities have an agenda or have a particular motivation of why you move the way that you move. They yeah, have a yeah. reason, and, and they always align their philosophy to this reason. I mean, I align what I do to certain philosophical ideas. Yeah. Uh, and, and I try and you know create a pathway between you know the, the philosophy and, and our reality that we have and you know that we sense in our body. Mm-hmm. So the the question is that some of these agendas don't fit the the bodies that are in these studios. Uh, yeah. And there was a really nice term that I heard. Uh, you know, as as many as there are as many people in the world, that's how many yoga styles there should be ah, everybody I has like that. yeah that's how and I, I think it was the term was sahasra yoga many a thousand okay. people like yoga you know so yeah. so um so the idea is that really everybody has you know their own specific needs and and outlook on life and they have a certain certain aspects to themselves that um, a generic practice will not support and may actually uh, create more issues. So the individualization of, of, of whatever practice you are in, whatever modality, movement modality you are doing, the individualization is the key here. Mm-hmm. That, that, is the pra- that is the practice. And if, it's not, if that's not available to the person, then... Um, what you're going to try and do is is fit everybody within a particular framework, and you and you know that doesn't work. Yeah. Because it may it may fit some, but it may not fit the majority. Yeah. So there was another term that was I heard ages ago. And it's like you know most, most you know people who are become yoga teachers are people who are flexible, or <laughs> who can do the tricks. Yeah. So so it caters to a few. <clears throat> I mean, that's not the case now. I mean, you know, don't hold me up as this is my belief system in terms of why people become yoga teachers. Yeah, but the, the, we have to personalize the experience somehow. We have to, you know, and this is where sometimes in large group scenarios or in class scenarios, there's a compromise to that personalization. And you, you are not going to get that a level of intimacy or connection and through these these um, avenues of presenting a practice that is 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 deeply personal is questions questions you know people's paradigms on the level sometimes is very very challenging and you won't get that in a yoga in a yoga class setting or Mm -hmm. any class setting for that matter Uh, the hope is that there's some some residue of what's been taught you know, trickles through past the superficial layer of one's interpretation of life or mm-hmm. our bodies. And that, you know, then the questioning can begin more earnestly and deeply mm-hmm. after that. That's the hope. 
you know. Yeah, but but there's there is definitely a lot of misdirection, I think, of uh, of of this process and information. Yeah, but the compromise will always be there. I mean, because uh, we oh, can't handle it. everybody. Yes. Look, look, you look. You could go this way. You know, the spiritual path is not perfect, eh? And, yeah. Uh, and if you are, and if you are seeking perfection, then you're causing more issues than you need to really at the end of the day, and you're creating more conflict, unnecessary conflict within your own psyche as well. Um, <clears throat> life is not perfect, so why would the spiritual path be perfect? <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. And our body is also not perfect. Because I think that's something that people need to get used to as well. I, I think also with the rise of social media, there's even more pressure to look a certain way, to have a certain kind of perfection to achieve. And I think we have to remember that there's no such thing as perfection in the body in a way when it comes to, um, I don't know, range of motion, flexibility, and you know things yeah. that the body can do. Yeah, so, you know, back to your original questions, what, what biomechanics is, and to me, this is in, a, in a, my own personal interpretation, it, biomechanics for me is a rhythm uh, within our body, a rhythm that has a particular feel to it. Uh, it, it establishes certain experiences. It's like a story. It has a beginning, a middle, and end. It starts at a place and it ripples through in, in liquid form, if you like, through our structure. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it is beautifully orchestrated from all the different parts of the body that are anatomically um, organized. Yeah. It is, it is a conversation that is transmitted through the soft tissue, uh, through our fascia system, mm -hmm. through our neurological system. Uh, there's a number of spirals and points of uh, contact that we lever from that enables us to express ourselves in space. Mm -hmm. it, it has it has these uh, messages as we move that tells us where we are in that moment, and um, and and it also tells us where we're going and where we've come from. Mm -hmm. And so the, the biomechanics for me is in in, in it's like a song in some respects, and everybody is singing their own unique song around it. And mm. sometimes, you know, there is dysfunctions that are, emerge, and and you know, the harmony of that movement or the harmony of that fully orchestrated relationship that I've just mentioned becomes segmented, and and you can see the the vibrational changes that happen. You can feel personally the inconsistency and, and the feeling of conflict and ill ease in your movement mm -hmm. so yes we we can measure biomechanics from you know empirical relationships and, and so forth but then you know there's also that subjective field of what it feels like to move and sometimes you know to to really get somebody interested in their physicality is to align their attention towards the experience that we're having because in the experience, also, we, it touches our emotional body. And then when that happens, there is a, a greater degree of heightened uh, relationship or interest that is accumulated. And we mm -hmm. become more fascinated with 
what we're doing and how we're doing it. And 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 I think that to me the the biomechanics is is both poetic and it speaks about certain things that are hard to articulate. And then at the same time, there's it's built upon this structure and foundation that uh, supports uh, the the physical experience that we're having as well. Mm. Yes, I agree. I fully agree. Um, I think that's really beautiful. And I I, I think yeah, I, I see life like a symphony. And you're right. If there's something that is not quite right, there's normally like it, I could hear um, like a dissonant chord that rings and um, yeah, uh, I never actually put somehow put biomechanics under that same perspective, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's like different songs, different harmonies, and yeah. we're just listening to that. So the one thing that I talk about in terms of when, you know, I engage students in terms of moving their body and, you know, and also the biomechanical relationships that you're trying to establish and, and is uh, I usually come from the idea of ease that you know when things are moving in an easeful way then generally things are much more cohesive and yeah. uh, to be eaten to be to move easily then there has to be an element of stability associated to that because you, you can't be easy if you're not stable uh, yeah. You try and you try and be easy when you're emotionally unstable. You know, there's, you know, I'm I'm using a different kind of um, idea here, but it's the same yeah. with your physicality. So structural stability is is essential, and it's not structural stability from the perspective where where we've taken it to the extreme, where it's all about now strength and uh, restricting movement. Mm-hmm. And stability has to have that level of adaptation available to it. So it's a fine balance between uh, stability and mobility. Mm. So in, and that fine balance to me is is what we're trying to establish within the experience of our body and how we move our body. So to make biomechanics more, biomechanics more relatable, I, I use the word ease as an example. Because then when we uh, come across certain feelings of restriction, which you know even can come to range of motion in certain parts of our bodies, when we come to those experiences of feeling restricted, <clears throat> in most cases, in my example, and I'm probably using me more than anybody else, is that when I feel a certain obstacle, I generally try and push through it or push past it. Yeah. Or, or use some level of effort or momentum to navigate beyond it because it's not pleasing, you know, it doesn't have that element of satisfaction. Yeah. And and so, but when we use the word ease, when we come to some of these difficulties that we sense in our body, we soften a little bit. And when we soften, what happens on a neurological and repatterning level, we find new strategies to move. Yeah, absolutely. That gives us elements where we have more choice. More choice, and so if we have more choice, then that negates the habituations that we generally exist in. Those habituations restrict range of motion, create uh, segmentations to our biomechanics, and also from a, a structural perspective, we lose our ability to support our spine. Mm. And so, so it's it's so the biomechanics and our experience are interwoven in such a deep way. 
that and that's why I said we need to kind of strip it right back to its 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 seed form because that to me then enables us to slowly un peel away you know some of the uh, blind spots that we have and re start to reinterpret our body in 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 different ways that gives us a, an experience that's completely new and, and in some ways shifts our paradigm to where we are and what we think about our physicality so it's it's a, it, to me it's a deep learning of what it is to be a human being on on all level uh, and and we start with the biomechanics but it's just the entry point yeah well i feel that that is really the mantra of your philosophy which is keep it simple find ease yeah. and find then you come to that balance between stability and mobility yeah 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 and a lot of things when you know when it's easy or when it's simple uh, a lot of things are revealed to you yeah yeah when it's complex and when it's intense and, and when you're chasing a, a particular uh, agenda or being influenced by a particular motivation <clears throat> you stop listening yes i fully agree So, and, you know, easy can mean many different things to people, but overall it has a, a soft, a softness, uh, an attitude of softness and an attitude of acceptance, which is really hard to think, um, align with at times. Yes. Yeah, it might be the hardest lessons of our lives to find that ease and softness. I don't yeah, think we are built sure. that way. I just don't think we're built that way, so it takes practice. Yeah, well, are we built that way? Well, it's hard to know, really. <laughs> you know, how much of it is structured in us and how much is it something that um, is innate, you know? So who knows, really? And that's a never-ending conversation, I suppose, for behavioralists. Yes. All right. Maybe uh, that's that's a topic for a different conversation then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How does society structure our attitudes? Yes. Uh, all right. So I think I'm gonna end it right here. Um, that's a lot on biomechanics, um, but definitely I think gives different perspective on seeing biomechanics. And in a less mechanical way and see it more as a part of our organic being. I think that's quite beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think so too. Um, you know, just keep it real, really, I suppose. And uh, we're in a, you know, our body is, is a great teacher. Oh, yes, I agree. Our body is a oh, great oh, teacher. Let, whoa, 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 whoa. let me finish. Yeah, let me finish with that. Our, great, our body is a great teacher, but it can also be a, a great imposter and delude us. Ooh. So be careful. Oh, <laughs> now I want to talk more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll leave it for the next one, eh? Yes, yes, we'll leave it for the next one. Okay, well, thank you, everybody, Sorry. for listening. Thank you, Vincent, for the conversations. And we'll be back in the next Sansa conversation. Thank you, Meta. You've been listening to Hansa Conversations, a podcast. Please follow Hansa Yoga on Instagram and Facebook. Learn more about Hansa at hansa.yoga on the web, where you can also purchase online practice videos to practice at home. Don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to get updates on our latest news. 
So join us on the next Hansa Conversations, and thank you for listening.